but uh, here we go. So John, thank you for jo joining us. This is uh, another of the Nephron Legends and Innovators series. And before we would begin, I'll say Nephron publishes research in public security, so we'll ask that we not share any material non-public information or information you have a duty to keep confidential or should not disclose. The goal of the call is for independent insight only. Uh, so with that, uh, today we are joined by John Moore, the founder of Chillmark Research some, I think now 10, 12 years ago at this point. And for those of you not familiar, Chillmark is a global research and advisory firm that focuses only on healthcare IT. And I've found over the last couple of years speaking with John that um, he's one of the more knowledgeable individuals, both in terms of what is occurring in the marketplace, but also what health system leaders are thinking about, what needs they have, and often knows what needs need to be filled before the vendors do. So, uh, so John, I think that's your, your claim to, uh, to fame from my perspective, and I'll thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, you're, wel you're welcome, Eric. Yes, it's, um, it's been a fun ride observing this market for the last 12 years and the evolution of the various players therein, including Cerner. So it should be, it'll be a fun conversation to have today. Very good. Well, I won't uh, prolong the introduction since we got started a few minutes later. What I'll say is that, you know, you and I have been having a conversation around Cerner for a couple of years uh, this year, it became a little more interesting, and you know, my proposition has been that today's opportunities for Cerner are somewhat proportional to the, uh, we could say, missteps and efficiencies. Um, you know, what has not been optimized in the past, but you have to get the macro demand outlook correct. And so, I think where I want to start with you is to get your view of the current state of the macro environment, and then we'll jump into some of the Cerner um, critiques with stops along the way to talk about other vendors of interest. But, but John, I think it'd be great to start with your perspective on the market and your perspective on uh, you know, what it looks like for an average hospital versus a sophisticated organization versus you know, a, a smaller, less sophisticated organization. Okay. Well, uh, the market today, you know, and most of the, you know, the market has been in health IT, the EHR market, you know, electronic health records. And when I started Showmark Research, we were at an adoption of about, depending on how you counted it, roughly around 12% nationwide. We've now are over 90%, at least in acute care facilities, you know, hospital systems. So that, that market's tapped out. I mean, what has been decided upon has been decided and being implemented. The only real changes we are seeing is when a hospitals or a given healthcare system will acquire another hospital. And in those instances, oftentimes they'll move them on to what has become uh, the overarching standard for the hospital, whether it's you know it's predominantly either a Cerner shop or an Epic shop, and the reason for that is just simply to make it easier to uh, both support the you know the hospital that they've acquired, 
and also to improve the interoperability and exchange of clinical notes going back and forth between the, the hospitals within a given system. Uh, you know, the, all the efforts that they've done you know, with various HIE solutions, things like that, to try and improve interoperability um, between um, disparate EHRs never really worked uh, very well or to the satisfaction of physicians. So getting everyone on one system has been kind of the go forward strategy for most hospital systems. So you're left with a market. <clears throat> well, really, there's not a heck of a lot of growth unless the hospital system that you have as a customer is acquiring another hospital uh, the, you know, in the EHR market. And there may be some growth opportunities you know, offshore. Uh, in the international market, although the international market is um, a very different market than what we have here in the United States, and some of the deployments of uh, U.S.-built EHRs have not gone over very well in um, overseas markets. And part of that is because the EHRs that we have here in the United States um, are oftentimes, you know, they're really built around billing and sure. getting the codes right. So you can get the bills right when you get look for reimbursement from your payers, who are ultimately the ones paying the bills. So right. that's kind of the state of the EHR market. The ambulatory market, um, you know, outside the hospital, the what we see there in terms of adoption, it's around 80, 85 percent. Uh, there's a lot of little solutions out there in the market still today. Um, there's been some consolidation there, and we'll continue to see consolidation there. But, uh, you know, I think that market will, in time, um, pretty much, you know, physicians more and more not set up private practices, but join larger IPAs or a, you know, a hospital system, they'll be moving to one of these larger um, EHR vendors. So we'll definitely see some consolidation there as well. And you asked me about the different tiers of the market. You know, yeah, certainly at the, um, at the top, you have the you know, fairly large systems like an atrium or a partner's healthcare or, you know, you see, you know, your Kaiser Permanente, HCA on the public side. Uh, these these fairly large, um, the larger ones in the academic medical centers have typically gone um, towards an epic type of environment. Uh, Cerner has captured some academic medical centers, but not to the extent that uh, epic has. Cerner's gotten more of the, um, the mid-market, I would say, the upper mid-market. And certainly them winning the DOD and VA contract uh, is helping keep the wind in their sails, I see going forward. That'll keep them busy for a while. Uh, when you get down into the, you know, so the, at the uh, large academic medical centers and the large IDNs, they're really looking at having a common platform system across the facilities and extending, ideally extending out into the ambulatory network as well of their affiliates. When you look at the mid-market, uh, you find much the same, and Cerner has played pretty well in the mid-market. 
and that's also where you start to come into finding um, you know Meditech here as well uh, and has a large presence. You also see all scripts you know as they've acquired a number of different um, solutions over the years uh, they've developed an acute slash ambulatory system in Sunrise that they're trying to take to market. Uh, they also bought the McKesson assets, and I think you know they're trying to position going forward a strategy of moving those McKesson clients ultimately to Sunrise. Uh, that hasn't necessarily gone easily for them. But that's kind of how I would characterize the mid-market. Uh, when you get down to the mid-market, you start to see a little bit more um, desire for services and service-based solutions. At the upper level of the market, they tend to do a lot on their own, you know, the previous market I spoke of. And then when you get down into the smaller market, um, the critical access hospitals, things of that ilk, uh, you find uh, smaller players like um, CPSI is certainly there, Meditech is there, very cost-conscious market, um, very hard to make money there. Uh, it was a market that Athena was going after with Razor Insights acquisition, um, which has gone okay for them. ECW also tried to target this market, the clinical works. Um, I'm not sure they've been very successful from what I've seen in that market to date. Uh, and in that market, I really believe that, um, and even up into the low to mid-market, I really believe we're going to see much more of a migration to cloud-based solutions to support that market, simply because, you know, a lot of these hospitals, smaller hospitals, are located in fairly remote regions and rural communities where it's very difficult to get the IT staff to support what they're trying to do. So I believe, you know, you'll see a continued move to um, cloud, off-prem cloud-based solutions to serve that market. Interesting. So let's jump into your perspective on what Cerner looks like today to its clients or to those that may be considering a move. We talk, you talked a little bit about the fact that many or most of the moves will be driven by consolidation. So it sounds like in those cases, much of it will be a foregone conclusion. Uh, what I'm interested in is if you take the perspective of Cerner's clients, we know that Cerner has been willing to uh, customize and modify their product and Millennium in ways that Epic um, was much more likely to dictate the way the product should be used. And so we've, you know, have a client set that is used to having an organization in Cerner that is willing to customize and provides a lot of service around that. And one of the critiques of late has been they've even been willing to do services that really didn't drive uh, levels of profitability that were um, you know, needed or reasonable. But where I really want to go is give us a little bit of the perspective of Cerner from the client. And then we want to get into how has that perspective you know, changed with Neil um, passing on with Zane moving on um, and the you know client view of the organization over the last two years where it has seemed uh, you know a little a little bit more a little a little bit like no one was quite at the rudder so I may be leading the witness there but because of conversations we've had but I, I would like to get that perspective from you 
Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, it's it's hard to, you know, similar to Judy at Epic, it's hard to, um, you know, replace someone like Neil at Cerner. Uh, Neil was an extremely passionate person. He, you know, was there from the very beginning. And, uh, you know, towards the end of his tenure and his ultimate passing um, at, uh, you know, from this dimension into the next, he um, he became extremely mission focused in wanting to really get the industry to move in the right direction on um, interoperability, patient access to records. Um, I remember uh, an event a few years back where they had a you know just a story about his wife and her carrying literally notebooks of her records to her various visits when she was dealing with cancer herself. Um, so he really saw it upfront and personal as to the kind of pain that a patient has to go through and wanted to really drive the organization and drive its customer base to improve on what they were doing to move more aggressively forward. Uh, he was certainly a visionary. Um, certainly had lots of ideas. The company tried lots of things. Um, some were good. Some didn't pan out as well as he had hoped. The market simply wasn't ready. I would say that you know, in in this, you know, going to you know, characterizing the climate of the customers, I think everyone, you know, certainly the Cerner staff, but I think also amongst the customer base. Um, there was a lot of um, kind of concern as to, well, what's going to be next for Cerner? Who's Neil was such a strong presence. How do you replace a Neil in an organization like Cerner? And so I think there was, um, everyone was kind of sitting waiting to see what would happen, what would, you know, and what, what would actually change uh, with regards to Cerner uh, going forward. I think what they they've done at Cerner um, now is you know made a move to become much more um, I think instead of mission focused business I would kind of characterize it as business focused and with the the new leadership. They're really looking at you know very closely at the organization as to how can they really drive out you know inefficiencies, uh, investments that maybe just aren't generating enough return to make it a worthwhile market for them to continue to pursue, and become much more focused on those things where they know they can um, get a good return on investment. And, and this I is your perception over the last several months versus in that interim period, you know, the, the 2018, 2017, where we were midterm, is this? Well, 2017, 2018, uh, I would have to say during that period, um, Cerner did not have uh, the leadership it needed. Everyone was kind of in a state of shock. Mm -hmm. There were some people at the uh, product or line level that were still proceeding ahead. 
um, with the plans they have in place. But you know, at the very top of the organization, um, I think there was a you know a bit of a kind of a pause in wondering what's next mm -hmm. for the organization. And I, I don't think that um, I think that was also felt you know certainly felt by the customers as well. Mm -hmm. What's going to be next? I mean, certainly they've made their commitment. You know, when you install one of these systems, you know, it's an enterprise installation and you're pretty much committed to it. It's not something you rip and replace easy, easily or readily. And, you know, just because of the, um, the workflow you've built into it, the training you've done, all the investments you've made over the years, these things do not, you know, it's like chipping out concrete. It does not come out easy. So I think, you know, most customers, you know, the vast majority of customers decided to, you know, they had faith in the Cerner, Cerner, you know, people that they worked with, that things would work out. But I think every, it was a bit of a pause while mm -hmm. everyone waited to see exactly what was going to pan out with the leadership at Cerner and, you know, its future direction. So let's jump to the product portfolio and where you see strengths and weaknesses, because I think there are, you know, opportunities they've tried to execute on and, and opportunities that maybe have been missed that, that you've shared. So, so why don't we start with, you know, where you see the opportunities and also where you see the, the weaknesses within the current Cerner uh, product suite? Well, I think the biggest, you know, honestly, you know, despite the acquisitions Cerner has made over the years, that certainly Epic likes to point out and say, well, we've never made an acquisition. Um, in actuality, when you look at what Cerner has actually done with those acquisitions, um, it's very Epic-like. They have a, a not invented here syndrome. And they do not, even the you know, even with a large acquisition such as that of um, Siemens, HIT business, uh, they really did not adopt any of the technology. It was about acquiring a customer base and mm -hmm. taking over that customer base, selling services into it, and eventually getting, you know, a lot of those Siemens customers that were on some pretty old EHRs, move them up into the Cerner Millennium environment over time. And, you know, do try to do that switchover and make the money there. But um, Sadly, in that case, with regards to the Siemens acquisition, they had an opportunity to also fold into their product portfolio a, a fairly state-of-the-art comprehensive RCM solution. Mm -hmm. And they really did not. Um, they kind of left the Sorian RCM solution out, out on the, uh, the end of a limb. Uh, didn't feed it very well, didn't promote it into their market, and continued to invest heavily in their own RCM solution that they have had challenges with for, oh gosh, 15 years, <laughs> if not more. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it's not surprising that you find a lot of Cerner shops at hospitals with um, a third-party RCM. Mm-hmm where if you go to Epic shops, almost everyone uses the Epic RCM. 
Absolutely. And so this is one of those questions that I think the group on the line is really focused on. We're asking, well, where, what, what is a reasonable growth rate for Cerner moving forward? And we all are very aware of some of the comments you made about the uh, EMR marketplace. When we look at RevCycle, it would seem to be an opportunity given where the penetration is. Uh, maybe let's jump to what is your assessment of Millennium rev cycle and and where it is today and noting you just said there's a a lot of shops that aren't using it have has there been progress along the along the path over the years or or where are we today um i would say it's been incremental it hasn't been at the level needed for their customer base and that's why Cerner has still struggled to have deep, deeper penetration into its customer base with its RCM solution. Mm. I remember the year before last being at their um, user conference, and I was struck to see all the third-party RCM vendors that were there exhibiting. At their own conference, right? The, uh, the, at the, their, exactly. The at plugs that you need. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was uh, pretty telling of where you know the state of their RCM solution. Even though I got a demo from them about what the, all the great things they've done, um, they've worked. I know they've worked with a very large hospital system from the, down in the southeast. We're mm-hmm. um, trying to incorporate <clears throat> some of their best practices and workflow tools into the Cerner RCM. Uh, I remember talking to the executive there leading that effort, and she said, you know, we're a decade ahead of them in terms of where mm. we're at. You know, it just, you know, it was kind of at that level. And that, that, but that was, you know, three, four years ago that I had that conversation. Well, but I, I still, even today, I think, you know, Cerner has not effectively capitalized on that um, potential opportunity and has not dedicated the sufficient resources to really get a rock solid RCM solution in the market. And what's striking there is that you do have Sorian um, operating in parallel. So is there a viable, you know, they could have, they could have done a transition years ago on on acquisition. Um, You know, I feel like this is one of the big decisions that still may need to be made and may be reluctantly made, but, you know, from the, client's perspective from your those you advise on Cerner is Sorian a reasonable substitute is it a substitute that some use today it is a substitute that some use today but it hasn't been wide that is not a substitute that's been promoted promoted right um right and I, I tend to think in this industry we see moments in time where you decide to sunset and move to another product and often there's opportunities to you know, extract maintenance and you know drive you know, use that as a uh, a bludgeon to drive folks in another direction um what do you do you think that's a reasonable opportunity do, you know if we saw tomorrow that there was an effort to to you know to let go of millennium after all these years of support and move to soria and what would the customer base response be and how um how how honest how far do you think they could push um 
I, at this point, you know, it's been a number of years, Eric, and I think mm -hmm. the, the boat's already sailed mm -hmm. with regards to whether or not to switch from Millennium Rev Cycle to Sorium. Yeah. So you think that I, I, that I, is actually a hard push to I, make? Yeah. Yeah. I do. And if there are questions I, I think, for... I think I was just going to say, if there are qu questions on the line. To make that transition would be difficult. Yeah. Got, got you. And if there are questions on the line re relative to any of what's come up, please do email them my way. Um, so, okay. Um, so we we talked a little bit about the uh, RevCycle marketplace. Um, John, you've done a lot of work of late on population health. That's been an area of focus for Chillmark. Maybe it's worth us talking about what the uh, current responses to health and intent and your perspectives there. Um, healthy intent, population health was, or has been, that whole market has been a market, you know, everyone's been sitting on the sidelines waiting for it to bust open. It hasn't. And the reason it hasn't is that simply the the whole reason for adopting a population health solution is in response to the move to value-based care contracting. And, you know, where you're starting to take on some, some form of risk, mm -hmm. um, particularly if you begin taking on some downside risk. Mm -hmm. Most providers have, um, and payers for that matter, have been very slow to move to value-based care contracting. And therefore, a lot of uh, provider organizations have, and I mean, of course, all the regulatory turmoil and the efforts to try to repeal the ACA, et cetera, left a lot of healthcare systems uh, wisely saying, you know, I'm just gonna sit on my checkbook and wait until the dust settles to see whether or not this is really gonna take off. So my my own assumption on this is, you know, until value-based contracts uh, really start to represent probably about 15, maybe 20% of revenue, which is about a, large, a point of margin for a healthcare system, you're not gonna see a lot of excitement around population health. You're gonna see, uh, pilots, you're going to see one-offs, maybe an ACO set up here and there. Um, we are seeing quite a bit of activity around Medicare Advantage, and a lot of the commercial payers are really aggressive or being aggressive on Medicare Advantage and want to push their providers to um, start getting on board with regards to population health. But I was talking to um, one large academic medical center yesterday and in the state they're in you know of course the largest payer is the blues in that particular state and that particular blue has not has not a single value-based contract in their portfolio when mm -hmm. they, when they yeah. negotiate contracts it's all based on fee-for-service rvu Therefore, the providers in that whole state are, I mean, they're just not terribly interested. So, so when the, someone like Humana comes to them or United Health, 
and says, hey, we want to do Medicare Advantage with you and measure HEGIS and you know, get you up to four stars or better. They're like, why? <laughs> you know, it's just a blank stare coming back at them. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's and that's pretty indicative of the, the market as a whole in sure. regards to population health. So when you back that into what Cerner has, I mean, they have healthy intent. They did a great job with healthy registries, which is uh, very well received in the market. That was something they built with their Lighthouse customer uh, advocate up in Chicago. Uh, that's been a that's been a great product. The um, the healthy care they had some growth pains with that, but that is starting to be come, come together to be a fairly um, reputable solution. I would say, you know, because healthy intent is actually a bunch of modules under it mm-hmm. or on top of it. Healthy intent is the platform for population health. But in population health, you have interoperability issues of integrating to other EHRs so you can deliver insights. You got analytics, you got data aggregation and normalization and EDW of some sort, and you have care management. And then lastly, you have the patient engagement piece. So they've got all those pieces in healthy intent with relative varying levels of sophistication and maturity. I think the probably the largest weak spot they have today in healthy intent is on the analytics side. They do a fairly good job on clinical, but mm-hmm. uh, they still struggle to process claims. Particularly, you know, CMS claims are kind of national, pretty standard, but when you get down to commercial to payers, and processing those, that kind of, those claims data, it, it gets really messy really fast. And what is your assessment of where the demand is, you know, beginning with the registries, then enterprise data warehouse? It sounds like you think there is, there is demand for analytics and services. Um, but what about the enterprise data warehouse? Is that still ongoing? And um, what is your perspective there? Um, no, the demand is, I mean, they're still selling it. They're still selling it. Uh, and the demand has been, I would say, not as robust as I had, had thought it would be mm-hmm. today. And I think part of the problem is based on, you know, our analysis of all the analytic solutions. You know, we recently published a report in the spring on, you know, provider analytics and all the solutions in that particular market to serve hospital systems. And, you know, Cerner has a reasonable solution, but they're not investing at nearly at the level of, say, what Epic has done. I mean, Cerner had a head start mm-hmm. on Epic, and Epic has eclipsed Cerner at this point. And what is, what is your perspective on Health Catalyst? I'm curious if you have a, an opinion there. Um, I like the company. They're a good team, good management. Um, they've done a very good job of selling into large hospital systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing I, I'm a little bit challenged with with regards to them is how they go to market. And you know, their their go to market strategy currently is by and large around selling a very large. Um, five-year contract mm-hmm. that, you know, is a couple million or so a year. 
and a lot of hospital systems just aren't at that level. So they're kind of keeping themselves to the very upper end of the market. And not, they have not um, developed a reasonable, product, reasonable price point and product suite for a broader market. And do you think Cerner, Epic, you know, others can challenge that over time? Is this something that you know, gain share and then is ultimately subsumed into the core? Uh, not necessarily. Or is it distinct? Um, I think it's, it's, it can be fairly dist distinct. I will say that in talking to a couple of healthcare, I mean, health catalyst customers, um, they did, they did say to me, you know, health catalyst has to, you know, it's kind of like the old Andy Grove uh, statement, only the paranoid survives. Um, health catalyst has to constantly be upping its game because Epic is throwing a hell of a lot of, Epic hates anyone in its accounts. Mm -hmm. They just can't stand it. It's just, it just gets under, you know, it's a burr under the saddle for Carl and Judy. Sure. So they have been aggressively building out their analytics capabilities to displace Health Catalyst in their accounts. Mm -hmm. And let's spend the five minutes we have left. I'd love to talk a little bit more on your perspectives on uh, R&D. You know, there's always a question if you have Epic out there willing to spend uh, high levels on R&D as a private company, not constrained by some of the you know, the requirements of others. And I think that's been a rationale for some of the elevated spending at Cerner. From where you sit, you know, what is your perspective on where that R&D has been productive and what the client demands look like? I think one of the, the key conflicts is going to be Cerner's need to significantly uh, optimize R&D spend versus the ongoing request from clients for spend that occur every day. Yeah, well, that's always the rub, you know. Brent is out there saying he, he wants to be much more customer focused, but you know, I'm not sure how customer focused he can be if he has only so many resources to work with. Mm -hmm. And with regards to R and D spend, I, you know, I believe that you know, the Cerner of your was, you know, they they dabbled in a lot of things. And they, they they were spending that R&D across a lot of different initiatives. I think there is certainly opportunity to uh, streamline the R&D and focus on really where are the biggest potential opportunities for the market, you know, the market they serve. For example, in, you know, analytics. If I was at running Cerner, I would say you can't be doing enough around analytics. You have to, you know, you've got to keep investing in that. I would also say around our, you know, RCM that we talked about earlier. Uh, that's a huge potential opportunity because very, you know, little of their installed base is using a Cerner RCM. And then mm -hmm. you can look at the ambulatory side of things. And Cerner has slowly gotten its act together on its ambulatory solutions. But it's taken forever. It's one of the reason. It's another reason a lot of uh, organizations went to Epic, is because the ambulatory to acute is very clean. 
Uh, mm -hmm. Cernerate has not been as clean. The ambulatory solution has not been a great solution. Uh, they've done a lot to improve that. I think they're at a point now where they're fairly comparable with uh, existing ambulatory solutions in the market. But um, you know that's an area where I think they have to just fine tune it. Wouldn't take a heck of a lot of R&D, but they need to, to do a little more investment there and really get it out in the market. So you think they're comparable now, but are they actually displacing the all scripts and Athenas of the world? Well, that's the thing. They're, yeah, well, that's the thing. They're comparable, but they're not better. Mm. Yes. To make it worth the lift to switch. All right. You need to actually be able to demonstrate some, some, uh, some benefit. And do you see the VA? Yeah, because, you know, those affiliates, those affiliates can be loosely affiliated or tightly affiliated with the hospital mm. system. And you don't want them to defect. And if we think but, about yeah. the customization <laughs> for a VA and DOD and some of the, the analogs in your own book of business, does that drive a material R&D requirement that has to be ongoing? It does. Yeah, it does. I think, you know, um, the, um, the DOD is going to be very unique. I don't think there's going to be a lot of um, transfer necessarily of technology development mm -hmm. to serve DOD that would be applicable, except for maybe trauma centers. Uh, I think, you know, on the VA side of things, there could be some opportunities there because the VA did deal quite heavily with you know within tricare um with you know well also the military within tricare with the physicians in the community mm -hmm. yeah so there will be ongoing spending there well i think we've about arrived at time and i appreciate you you uh joining us we started a little bit late but we did cover a lot of ground so John, thank you for the time. Thanks for sharing some of Chillmark's research. And uh, we'll continue to, to uh, take your input and others as we continue to refine our analysis of what Cerner may look like in the future. So thank you so much. You're welcome, Eric. It's been fun. Enjoyed the conversation as well. Very good. Take care. Okay, you too.